0: episode after episode of 1 Samuel so if 1 Samuel 24 and 25 and 26 were a TV show they would all be part 1, part 2 and part 3 in the bigger season I'm stuck, we gotta watch a lot of TV this afternoon Uh, This this wraps up a three-chapter sort of series of events. The first one, chapter 24, was David on the run, in the stronghold, hiding in caves, hiding for his life with about 600 other men. Gosh! And all their wives were with them, and their kids were with them, and their supplies were with them, and they were going from various places they were in a uh, woods they were in a forest then they were in a wilderness then they were in rocks and caves and caverns and canyons and Saul came after him the ziphites said hey Saul David's hiding in the in the caves of Engedi and Saul goes out and you have the whole scene where Saul goes into the cave takes off his garments to use the bathroom. David's in the cave that Saul is in. And so that played out where here's God giving Saul into David's hand. And David saying, I am not going to kill God's anointed king. And so he spared him. Saul said, oh man, I am never going to chase after you again, David. You're a better man than I am. I am so sorry I did this. And they part ways. Chapter 25, you have David guarding, living out in the wilderness. This rich dude, that his name means a foolish wineskin, things like that, out in the wilderness. And he's got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And David says, hey, uh, can you give us some food? Because we've kind of been protecting all of your crops and we benefit your land and we're all hungry and it's a feast day. And Nabal is like, no way, forget it. And David's like, may God curse me if any man is alive in that village by the time the sun comes up. And he goes to kill them all. So now all of a sudden, chapter 24, you had God handing Saul to David to kill him. And David wouldn't kill him. 25, you have David on his own seeking out somebody to kill and to slaughter. And they're just going to butcher all these people and kill them all. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes and says, Hey, don't do this. You will have guilt. You will feel so bad if you do this. You will feel so guilty for so long. Don't do it. Here's a whole bunch of food. Here's five sheep out of the 3,000 that I have back home. That's enough for you. Go on. And so here's a spot where God saved David from guilt of killing out of revenge, bringing about his own revenge. And so now, just like any good cliffhanger, you have this part that combines chapter 24, where God delivered this chance to win right into David's hands, but he wanted to obey God. Chapter 25, this part where David went out and he was able to do it, and then God sent away the free David from guilt, so David didn't have guilt. Now we have chapter 26. David is out in the wilderness. And he is with his men. They're no longer in the caves of En And it's really wild. If you got a really cool study Bible with all kinds of maps in the back, you might have one that shows where David traveled, or you might be able to figure it out. And David and his men are actually, they've left the En fortress, and they are heading towards civilization again. We have no idea why. And it doesn't even say anywhere. But as you're reading it, you're like, Wait, wait, wait. They're coming back. Like, they're not in Boonville anymore. They're on the east side. Like, they're, they're coming. And the Ziphites again, cotton-picking Ziphites, cause this trouble again. And they say, Hey, King Saul, did you know that King David is now over here? The only time the Ziphites come up is these two chapters. And both times they are ratting on David to Saul. Weird. Saul forgets all the promises that he made in chapter 24. Oh, I won't pursue you anymore. Oh, you're a better man than me. And he gets his, his uh, 3,000 men and they go. Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph, with three thousand chosen men of Israel, seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalia, which is beside the road on the east of the Jeshimah. This is why all the map stuff is cool. Because, like I'm a, I, am I can't pay attention to stuff and I have trouble staying focused. But if you got a map and it's telling you locations, you can find it and it makes it all a lot more interesting. So David is in the wilderness. He saw that Saul came after him. Now think about how David is at this point. He's been on the run. He just spared this guy's life. And then God worked for him and killed the guy anyway. And David got the guy's wife and has all of his crops now and has all of his livestock. God is taking care of him. But here is Saul coming out again to kill him. Like that would be just be so discouraging. So David sends out spies. He says, go and find out. You guys, go figure out what's going on. So they go, and they find out, yep, he came. He's out there after David. He's not fighting Philistines. He's not leading Israel. He's not expanding the kingdom of Israel. This is all about killing David. So David is watching. He sees where Saul is has his tent. He can see that Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army, is with him in the same tent. And all the army is camped all around them. So David and his men, they are, they are um, wily and sneaky enough. And they know how Saul runs his army that as they're like up on this hill looking down, watching, and they're hiding, because they don't want Saul to know they're there, but they're hiding and they're watching they can tell exactly how they set up the tent. They can tell where Saul's tent is. They can see who is sharing a tent with Saul. And they're observing all of this, right? So then David says to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? Who's going to go with me down into that camp? so just think about that think about that statement for a minute they're all camping they're watching Saul he's brought another 3,000 men out to kill us oh he's always chasing us I thought he said he wasn't going to chase you anymore I don't know it's Saul he's crazy he's a maniac but he's God's anointed and I, I know you should have killed him when we were in the cave no I shouldn't have killed him when we were in the cave you know they're having all this conversation they're real people right we all have these conversations And then David says, Okay, which one of you guys is going down there with me? Wow. Okay. You're crazy. Who's the crazy king now, Dave? Right? Well, the other cool thing is, uh, there's a whole way of doing Bible study that's the rule of first mention. And when somebody is... They first mention somebody, there's characteristics about them when they're mentioned that you... All the rest of the Bible, you want to view that thing through the lens of the way it was first mentioned. Does that make sense? So the very first time Abraham is mentioned in the Bible, he is being spoken to by God and called to go and do something. And so all the rest of the time, anytime you see Abraham in the Bible, you want to look at what Abraham is doing as the first time he was ever mentioned was God calling his name in a land where nobody worshipped God, and he went and obeyed God, right? So we got two guys mentioned here. These are the first, first men mentioned with David. So remember all the guys that came with David were guys that had debt and people that were felons and had committed crimes and were just yeah, rebels, they, they, outcasts. The first one is Ahimelech the Hittite. Well, if that sounds familiar, there's another famous Hittite that followed David named Uriah the Hittite. So there was a whole group of, of the Hittite clan that came with David. And Ahimelech is one of them. And to Joab's brother. Okay, so what in the world? This is kind of weird, like we're supposed to know who Joab is? Yes, you are. Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah. Zeruiah is David's sister. So Joab and Abishai, right? Yep. Joab and Abishai are David's nephews. So, you know, at some point you're going to join the army. How awesome would it be to be in the regiment with your uncle? Especially if your uncle is probably going to become the king of Israel. And so you've got connections to to work your way up. So Joab and Abishai are David's nephews. Joab is just mentioned, like you should know who he is. Joab's brother. Because at the time that this was finally written down and finally told, spoiler alert, everybody knew who Joab was. And so if you knew about this story, you would know who Joab was. But we're not going to meet him yet. We're going to meet Abishai. So Abishai, who will go down with me to the camp? Abishai said, I'll go with you. Right there. I mean, it's a suicide mission, right? It's the whole camp of 3,000 of Israel's army trained soldiers that trained to be soldiers all the time with the king. And here's David and this dude that's his nephew that are kind of criminals, kind of on the run, and they're going to go down into this camp. Well, let me tell you, from now on, every time you see the word Abishai, every time Abishai shows up from here on in the Bible, he either wants to kill somebody or he kills somebody. He is not necessarily the master assassin that Joab is. Joab will have more, uh, more check marks on his helmet than Abishai will by the time we get to the end of this. But Abishai is the one most likely to be like, can I kill him? Can I kill him? That's, that's Abishai's quote. So, church, meet Abishai, Abishai, church. He says, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went down to the army by night. They, there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment campment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head and Abner and the army lay all around him. So Abishai and David sneak into the camp. Have you guys ever been to Vincennes for the rendezvous, the, the uh, reenactment, the Revolutionary War reenactment? And like they have the big show where the people are all shooting at each other. But then you can go walk through the camp. And the camp is just like a whole bunch of kind of like hippies dressed up like pioneers. And they're all camping. Can you imagine sneaking around through that? I mean, there's, there's not lines. They don't make rows. They're just, they're just camping. And there is some order to it. But David and Abishai are sneaking through this at night. And, of course, you're going to keep your most prized possession, the king, in the middle. So there's no shortcut. There's no easy way in. They sneak all the way in. They go all the way into Saul's tent, his very tent where he is sleeping. And it mentions his spear. Saul and his spear, it almost becomes a joke, he always had his spear. He was his spear that he threw at David, right? He threw his spear at David a couple times. He threw his spear at his own son Jonathan to kill his own son Jonathan at one point. Like his spear is like the thing that he always keeps around. And there it is next to where he's sleeping and it's just stuck in the ground ready. Because, I mean, he is commanding an army, right? So he's ready to fight. Spear, right there. They sneak all the way in abishai says to david this is it god has given your enemy into your hand this day this is just like when we were in the cave he didn't say that part but here david has gone into the camp so it's just like 25 when he was seeking to kill somebody but at the same time, God has served up Saul on a platter right there, ready to kill him. Let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of his spear, and I will not have to strike him twice. Abishai is like, This is a one hit kill here. Nobody's going to hear nothing. I got this, his spear right here, I know it can do it. Let me kill him. Oh, you guys, I'm just about ready to sneeze. They're in the tent. Like, let me kill him. David is like, no, we're not going to kill him. Far be it from me. David says to Abishai, do not destroy him. Who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? When David got saved from killing Nabal, one chapter earlier, he refers to it as a salvation, that David received salvation because he didn't try to work revenge for himself. So it was Nabal that got saved because Nabal didn't get killed by David, right? But when David talks about it, he talks about it, he himself is the one that got saved because he didn't have the guilt of killing Nabal. And so here he's saying, who can kill the king of Israel and not be guilty? I don't want you to have guilt. As the Lord lives... This is awesome. Who can put his hand out against the anointed? So when David says, as the Lord lives, he's kind of making a swear. He's kind of taking an oath. The Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. All right, I'm going to blow my nose. One moment, please. This is where you pause the live stream Otherwise, I was going to be on the edge of a sneeze for a half hour. Uh, David says, look, Saul's going to die. Saul is not going to live forever. But Saul is not going to die by my hand. Isn't that wild? Like, like play that out. And, and make it a little bit more general. This person that has wronged me terribly is not going to go on wronging me terribly forever. At some point, God has established a way that it will stop. It will end. The pain that this person is inflicting upon me will stop. And I can either physically, violently stop it myself and have guilt, or I can let God do it. And if I let God do it, I don't know how God will do it, God's either going to make him die, God's either going to make him change, I don't know. But God's going to do it, and I trust God to do it more. Isn't this incredibly impl- applicable to us today? I mean, whether, whether you have real enemies that are out to get you, or if you have imagined enemies that the news tells you about, I could physically stop them, like blow them up or shoot them or whatever, or I can let God do it. And when I turn people over to God, when I turn my enemies over to God, God really shows off at how good he is at this stuff. And that's what David's doing. The Lord will strike him, or his day will come to an end, or he'll go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. We're not going to kill him. But... Take now his spear that's at his head and his jar of water and let's get out of here. So, we're going to take his spear. Saul and his spear is like, oh man, he's always got his spear. That's his thing that he uses. His water is just a flat out, practical, real life thing. Because they're traveling, they don't. it's not like they're just going to stop at the convenience store and get some ski. Um, Traveling with water in the wilderness was a life and death situation. And of course, the king, we all got to preserve the king. He's the most important thing here. We're going to give him the best water. So if we go and we find a spring and it's, oh, you know, all the troops get water. Who's going to get water first? The king is going to get water first. Who's, right? Right. If we come to two springs and one of them's kind of muddy and nasty and one of them's clear, who's getting the clear water? The king. So he's got his jar of water right there, like his water bottle, like his cup of water next to his bed. I just want to make you really thirsty while I'm talking. So he's got his water jug, he's got his spear, and David says we're not killing him. He's going to die. It's not going to be on my hands. It's not going to be on your hands. Abishai, I know you, dude. You are bad news. I know you could kill him. We're not going to do it. Uh, At the end of David's life, they mention Abishai in the big list of all the mighty men. And the list of people that Abishai killed, when you see, when he says I could kill him when one hit with the spear, yes, he could. He could kill like 800 men in one hit with the spear. He's just, he is tough. So it's really awesome that he would obey King David and not rebel, not fight against him. So they sneak away. They take the spear and the water. Why they I carry on about the water? You'll find out in a minute. But remember, they've got his spear and his water. They sneak out. No man saw it or knew it or did anybody wake up they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Ha! <laughs> so it's not, oh, David, you are so good and you are so skilled. It's not, oh, Dan, you're such an awesome preacher. But the Holy Spirit has intervened here. The Holy Spirit has intervened. We do stuff. We do stuff in our daily life, and we do it the best we can. Just like the song we sung earlier, we need Jesus to intervene. We need Jesus' help to intervene in it to make it really possible. So then David goes out. They make it all the way out of the camp. They go up on the side of the hill, and David wakes everybody up. He is such a punk. He goes up on the side of the hill, and he's like, "Ha!" Starts shouting, Abner, why aren't you answering, Abner? Are you asleep? Abner is the head of the army. He's like the head of the secret service. Abner, are you asleep? Why are you sleeping? He wakes up. He shouts, Abner shouts out, who are you that calls out to the king? David says to Abner, are you not a man? Who's like you in all of Israel? Who is as strong as Abner? He's totally, this is just mock. Yes. Why have you not kept watch over your Lord the King? For one of the people came in to destroy the King, your Lord. This thing you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. So at this point, Saul is awake. And Saul is hearing this. He recognizes David's voice because remember he was around David a lot. They knew each other closely. So he can recognize David shouting from the thing. As far as uh, is it worthy of death... Yes, this was a a crime. Failing to protect the king was a crime punishable by death. Saul recognizes it. He comes out, Is that your voice, my son David? Now remember, two chapters ago, Saul said, My son David, is that you? And David said, Yes, my father, it is me. Times have changed. Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. We're not doing this father and son business anymore. It's subtle, but it's there. There, David is starting to draw some separation. Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? This is the same thing he said in the cave. Why are you following me? Why are you trying to kill me? What have I done? Listen, listen to the words of your servant. If it's the Lord that stirred you up against me, may the Lord accept an offering. But if it's men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day. He's saying, if you're coming after me because God told you to, I will respect that, but I know that God will take an offering. But if you're coming after me because of a bunch of men a bunch of ideas and he doesn't call him out fully because you then may a curse be on whoever's making you come after me this is a really good when i um when i was the the pastor at the rescue mission it was a common thing on mondays for guys to come to me and complain about whatever church i made them go to because they were required to go to church on sunday but i tell them there's 250 churches in evansville You can go five years, never go to the same church twice. You're bound to find one that you can sit through for an hour. And they would complain. And I would say, okay, wait, I totally want to hear all of your complaints about church. But you have to have chapter and verse. And they would say, what? And I would say, don't come complaining to me that the air conditioning didn't work or the guy talked too slow. If you want to complain about church, you've got to have chapter and verse. It's the same kind of thing here if God is stirred you up against me then by all means obey God and let's give God a sacrifice but if it's just man's pickiness that's making you come after me here then a curse be on those men so he's basically proclaiming a curse on Saul at this point right He says, what are you doing? He says all this kind of same thing. It's like you're a flea. You sent your whole army out here after a flea. That's the same thing he says about the cave. You're like looking for a single bird in all the mountains. You're silly. Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing that he said at the cave. What's awesome is at the cave... David said all this stuff to to Saul, and he was like, All right, if you agree, then, then we'll make a covenant between us, and I won't harm you, and blah blah blah. David doesn't even regard all of Saul's promises. He's like, David answers. He says, Here is your spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. Um Young men. So it doesn't really say young men there. It's like uh, get get one of your little ankle biters to come and get your dang spear. I mean, it's really it's a it is a harmful. This phrase is so cleaned up in the ESV. It's it's fun. Um, Young man is is uh, derogatory. It is cutting you down. It's like. your, your, little, your little sissies. Get one of your little sissies to come get your spear. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. As your life was precious this day in my sight, you think he's going to say, I didn't kill you, so you don't kill me, right? No, he's not making any deals with Saul. As your life was precious this day in my life, in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. David is making a deal with God regarding Saul. He's not making a deal with Saul. This is so cool. This is the same thing that God does with himself regarding Abraham. Going back to Abraham. He makes this covenant, and God makes the covenant with himself regarding Abraham. God, in in his cosmic way, makes a deal with himself to always care for Abraham. David makes a deal with God. You see what I did to him. You see what I didn't do to him. Will you please treat me the way that I treated him? Will you look after me? Will you show me mercy the way I showed him mercy? Because he represents God to me. Because he's God's anointed. Wow. Just like, oh, oh that I would be able to value people like that, right? This guy's made in the image of God. God, treat me the way I just treated that guy. Look at at this. Watch how I'm doing this. Then Saul said to David, Saul is struck by this. Blessed be you, David. You will do many things and you will succeed in them. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place and they left. He didn't give him back his water. He says, send one of those little girls over here to get your spear and I'll send you home with it. Who's in charge here? Who is keeping it? David is. There's one commentator that says that as Saul was sleeping, he had life and death. He had his spear and he had his water. And David gives him back his spear. Meaning the life of the king, the support of the king, the, the provision of the king, David has taken it. The other wild thing about this whole deal, and this happens a lot in the Bible, where there's some real life events that represent a spiritual thing that's happening. How long has Saul and all of his court been spiritually asleep and not alert to listen to God? And here's David listening to God, interacting with God. Remember he's got Abigail, who's a, she's a prophet. He's communicating with God. All of God's communication has moved on, away from Saul too. So this whole thing, this whole thing plays out, and uh, it's a three, it's a three-episode series. All three times, it was never out of weakness. You could never read chapter twenty-four, chapter twenty-five, and chapter twenty-six, and say David didn't kill Saul because he was weak. You could never read 24, 25, and 26 and say, David was afraid. And so here we are, right? We are living real, real life scenarios just like David is. And sometimes we want... We, oh, I don't want to look like I'm afraid. I don't want to look like I'm weak. I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. Or I, I don't want to look insecure. And here's David doing all of those things before his mighty men. And so I want to finish with Psalm 143. So remember, all this time this stuff is going on with David, the Psalms are happening. The Psalms are happening in real time, in real life. He is writing these down as he's experiencing the stuff that we're reading about. And Psalm 143, he prays, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Remember at the end of the last chapter, um, they basically treated David's wife, that was the daughter of Saul, like she was a widow and married her to somebody else. Because David is as good as dead to them. So they married, married her off. Is the only person, only one of David's wives that is ever mentioned that uh, she loved David. That that word is used for him. He's been run out of town, he can't go to the temple and worship. He, um, he can't go to the tabernacle. He, he has the ephod, the, the holy ephod and the Urm and the turim with him. But he can't go see the Ark of the Covenant. He can't worship with God's people. He, he can't be a part of the fellowship. He's been all put out. And then this is how he prays. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Three times in these three chapters, he could have fled to his sword, he could have fled to his spear. He could have fled to his army for refuge. And he always fled to God. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you'll cut off my enemies. You'll destroy the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. So, He gives us a guide just by his own life, right? Rather than pray, rather than act and have revenge on somebody, rather than punch somebody in the nose or or slander them on Facebook, David says, commit your cause to the Lord. Cry out to God and let God handle it. And then watch Him do it. Let Him show off his His steadfast love in the morning. How awesome it would be to wake up in the morning and not have guilt of retaliation, not have guilt of hatred, but instead to know the Lord did some great work, right? Let's pray. Lord, we do this right now. We just take all of our struggles and our fights. We, we take the adversary of our soul. And all the ways that the devil works against us and the world works against us. And we offer it all up to you. We deliver it all up to you, Lord. We put it into your capable hands and out of ours. Because you are so good. You are so skilled and everything you do is right. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.